From Judges chapter 6. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted, planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth that Ophrah, which belongs to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gibeon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephed of flour. The meat he put in a basket, and the broth he put in a pot, and he brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put it on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. And the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes, and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gabriel perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gibeon said, 
Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you, Gibeon. Do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gibeon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it still stands at Ephra, which belongs to the Abezerites. The word of the Lord. During the season of Advent, we're reminding ourselves of what the Advent season means or is intended to mean. Advent, as we said, means the coming of something important or significant. And when we look towards celebrating the incarnation at Christmas, when God becomes man, uh, we are reminding ourselves that we are in a period of waiting. We're waiting for the return of the King. And during the season of Advent, we go back to the Old Testament and look at what it meant for the Old Testament people of God to wait for the first arrival of the king. And then we evaluate our waiting in light of what we learn from their waiting. To do that, we're looking at theophanies, which are places in the Old Testament which God appears in a very personal fashion. He reveals something about himself, his character, his person, by showing up. And these are foreshadowing of the coming of Christ. They help Israel to start to figure out we need something more than what we have And all of these glimpses start to create the hope or the expectation for the coming of the Messiah. So today we're considering the story of Gideon. And in the story of Gideon, this first part, which is his call, God reveals himself to Gideon to be a God of peace. And this is how he declares himself to Gideon. But what we learn from the Gideon narrative is that we only experience God's peace when we're really prepared to follow his call. Now, are you experiencing the peace of God? Is your life characterized by peace, by a certain degree of serenity that comes from a well-ordered life driven by the commands of God? The answer is no. Then at least one question to ask this morning is perhaps I don't experience the peace of God because I'm not really willing to follow the call of God. As we'll see in this narrative, they go hand in hand. So, What does it mean, really, to follow the call of God? Well, the first thing that we learned this morning is that you have to remember. You can't forget. How do we see that? The first part of our story gives us the backdrop for why Gideon is needed. In the period of Judges, Israel has taken over the promised land, but they uh, they haven't fully taken it over. And so lots of tribes are still giving them trouble. And what happens is Israel forgets about God when things are going well. They decide that they can handle things themselves. God backs up. When God backs up, the enemies come. The enemies are stronger. Israel gets in a bad place. Then they get in a really bad place. And finally they decide, well, maybe we better cry out to God, given that we're in such a bad place. God sends a judge to deliver them. Everything's good under the rulership of the judge, usually, depending. Well, that's really not a fair statement. Lots of the judges are pretty mixed figures, and in fact, Gideon ends quite poorly. But usually when the judge comes on the scene, there's rescue, and there's a time of peace. And then guess what happens during the time of peace? When everything's going okay, Israel forgets about God again, and the cycle repeats. This is where we find ourselves. And interestingly, uniquely in this cycle, before God sends a judge, he sends a prophet. It's the only time it happens in the book of Judges. 
Israel cries out because the Midianites are invading their land. Right? So Israel will plant all their crops and they'll be raising their livestock and think maybe this year will be a good year. Maybe the Midianites won't come around. And then one day they wake up, just like every year for the last seven years, the Midianites are on the horizon and they're coming down the hill. The Israelites run to the caves in the hills and live there while the Midianites devour everything in the land. They eat what they've grown. They take all their livestock. Right? And so Israel is destitute and incredibly poor and is under the thumb of these other tribes. So they finally cry out. God sends a prophet. Notice the prophet's words in verses 8 through 10. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. The prophet charges Israel, says, listen, realize you're in a place of disobedience. You have not obeyed my voice. And if you back up from there, you say, well, why haven't they obeyed God's voice? Right? When God says, I told you not to fear the gods of the Amorites, what he's saying is you've chosen to fear them and worship them. We know from what comes before this and what comes after it that the Israelites are worshiping the Baal and setting up Asherah poles. They were fertility gods and goddesses of the Canaanites in their, on their property. In fact, the first thing Gideon's going to do after this story is to tear down the Asherah pole in his own backyard as he begins to lead Israel. But they've gone, they're in a place of disobedience. That disobedience is informed by their idolatry. They're choosing to worship other gods. And if you just go backwards through the uh, prophet's statement, why are they worshiping foreign gods? Because they've forgotten. They've forgotten that God's the one who's brought them up out of Egypt. He's defeated the Egyptians on their behalf. He led them through the Red Sea. He's the one who's delivered them into the promised land and defeated all the enemies that existed there so that they could arrive there. They failed to remember... They failed to practice remembering, and as a result, they've gone down a road which led to idolatry and then to disobedience. And so, right off the bat, one of the questions for us, one of the applications is, how are you at remembering? And are you actually laboring at remembering? What does it mean to remember, right, the victories and activities of God and His story in your household? To retell those events. If you are not remembering intentionally, you are inevitably forgetting. And the one thing that comes with forgetting, right? basically this passage guarantees us, is idolatry. To the degree that you forget God's strength is to the degree that you will have to turn to other things for strength. So what practices of remembering, of reading the story together, of telling the story and reminding you of God's salvation to keep you from actually looking for salvation in some other place. This is the first thing that we see in terms of understanding uh, God's call and being who God called us to be. Now, just because we have a problem remembering God doesn't mean that He's unwilling to remember us. This is His grace. right? He's going to move. Israel has forgotten Him. Israel has chosen to worship other gods. Gideon's going to be no impressive hero, but he's going to move towards all these people and love them and try to redeem them because he is gracious. And just because we forget him does not mean that he forgets about us. And as he moves towards Gideon, he calls Gideon in purpose, which is a, um, 
as it happens for Gideon as an individual, it is, it is paradigmatic, by which I mean it is an example for all of God's call upon God's people. Now, what's interesting about Gideon's call is he's not going to be interested. Gideon really doesn't want what the angel of the Lord is selling, which is a little bit interesting. Imagine for a moment if the angel of the Lord showed up to you and gave you a charge. I'm not sure how you would respond. I think I'd be pretty quick to say, okay, yes, sir. Gideon's going to argue three times against the charge, right? He's going to basically pull out any argument that he can grab, and they're decent ones, to try to say, no, not me, all right? So you need to understand and pay attention to how his arguments work against the charge or against the call that he receives from the angel of the Lord. The first round of charge and argument against the charge comes in verses 12 through 13, Verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. A little bit of irony, perhaps, there. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Okay, so the angel of the Lord shows up for the first time, says, the Lord is with you, a mighty man of valor. Gideon says, actually, I'd like to take issue with that first part. The Lord is with us. Really. We've heard stories of old about God being with his people. But right now, every time the Midianites come, we have to run and live in caves for months at a time until they devour everything in the land. And then we have to figure out how to survive the rest of the year because all the goods have been eaten up. I'm not sure what God you think is with us, but he doesn't seem to be very present to me. It's a, it's a fair objection. It's not only a fair objection, it's an objection that we find ourselves saying at various times, right? God, if you were present with me, then why would all these things be happening? Why would I find myself experiencing this or suffering this? If you were really present, you seem absent. Even the psalmist will say, God, you seem to be asleep. You seem not to care. This is how Gideon pushes back on the initial round of his call. Well, the angel isn't done yet, and neither is Gideon. The angel's second call comes in verses 14 and 15, in which the angel of the Lord says, uh, And the Lord turned to him, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is least in my father's house. Excuse me. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So the angel comes back and says, Listen, go, defeat Midian. Am I not with you? Gideon says, Well, actually, I think you, whether you're with me or not, you've got the wrong guy. I happen to be part of the, the weakest clan of my tribe, and I'm the least in my father's house. Right? Very reminiscent of someone like Moses. I'm not the person that you're looking for. And again, he tries to duck the call. Well, the angel comes around the third time in verses 16 and 17. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. <laughs> yeah, in some ways, from our perspective, the audacity. Right? The angel of the Lord says, listen, go. 
I am with you, and as a result of me being with you, you're going to strike down an entire tribe of people as if they were a single man. Right? That's the strength that I bring to the table. And Gideon responds, you know, I just, let's make sure it's you, angel of the Lord. I'd like a little bit more security, and so I'd like a sign. I'd like you to perform a miracle so that I can be sure that you are actually the angel of the Lord. And then maybe we'll talk. And so Gideon says, wait right here as he goes and uh, prepares a meal for the angel of the Lord. But what we have at this point are three calls right, from the angel of the Lord and three objections to participating in that call. And as I said, right, Gideon's story is an example to us. In many ways, Gideon's story is the story of all of God's people who receive uh, the call of the Spirit to follow and be part of God's mission. And so the question for us is both how do we see that call, but also how do we identify with Gideon's objections? Now, if, you're, if you don't know what I mean by being called by God, right, there are certain things that you are called to when you are called to follow after uh, Christ. Right? When you are unified to Him in the Spirit, there are actually lots of things you're called to, but we could cover just a few. Number one, you're called to be holy. You're supposed to put away sin. You're supposed to allow the new self to emerge and the old self to be put to death so that you can be a holy stone and a holy temple, which is the very dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, 1 Peter. You're not only called to be holy, right? You're also called that you would be engaging in God's mission and discipling the nations, right? Jesus charges the disciples, go out into all the world, right? Discipling the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right? This too is part of our call, that we would go forth and share the story by which we believe salvation comes to the world. We're also called uh, not only to be holy, not only to be disciples to, uh, to the nations and to make disciples of the nations, but to be committed to the body of Christ. Right? Both in 1 Corinthians and in Romans, Paul says you've got to, there is no having Christ apart from being part of his body. Being an ear or an eye or a hand or a foot, whatever you may be, we're interconnected together. And we experience Christ through His body, which is the local church. So there's just three examples. When you're called to follow Jesus, you're called to be holy, you're called to make disciples, and you're called to be part of the local body. But there are also particular calls. Calls in which God would have a particular agenda for you and call you to participate in that agenda. You heard it testified moments ago of someone who felt God's call upon them to go to India. Right? You may feel that call. You may, you may feel a call to operate in some behalf, in a special way on behalf of the poor, the oppressed, the widow, and the orphan. You may feel a call to reach out to a neighbor, right? or to co-workers, or to make some stand. Right? All of these are particular calls, right? more minor calls, that come under the overall call of following Jesus in faithfulness. Now, I can't tell you what the call is that is upon you. Right? That is way above my pay grade and falls with the Holy Spirit. But you should be wrestling both with the macro call, which is am I being faithful to what it means to be called to follow Jesus, and with the micro call, which is does God have any particular agenda for me to take up and to engage in? And those are both questions that we need to be asking all the time and listening to God's voice through His Word and where He might lead us. Now, if we're receiving calls right, on both macro and micro levels, then how do we respond? Well, I think a lot of times we respond just like Gideon. Gideon's first response in receiving his call 
is that, you know, actually, I don't really feel like God is with us. God doesn't seem very present. He's not doing anything about our problems. And so I'm not really interested in this call. If God wants to show up and do some things that I want Him to do and put my problems in order or the things that are affecting me in order, then then I might be interested in pursuing a call. But why would I respond to a call of someone who seems to be absent? And we need to remember, right? We started with the danger of being forgetful. Is it to remember God and His promises? We remember that Jesus promises us, I am with you always to the end of the age. He always stands behind us. He is never not there. Well, Gideon's next objection was, I'm not strong enough. Right? You've really picked the wrong guy. You may think, you know, I'm not. God may call you to be in His Word, but you think, I'm not really studious. Or He may call you to be uh, in, investing in building relationships with unbelievers. And you think, I just, I'm not that strong person who's willing to be played the fool and lose relationships as a result of that. God may be calling you to part with more resources so that you have more to give away on behalf of the church and the poor. And you think, you know, I just, I'm not, I get really anxious. A lot of anxiety when I don't have a full bank account. And so that, I don't, that's, I'm not the guy to do that. And over and over again, we can come up with excuses to say, you know, I'm not, I'm not strong enough. I'm not qualified to play that role. And the third objection, well, when we go down that road, we forget, right? When we think we're not strong enough, We forget Jesus' presence and His promise, or as Paul writes, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Forgetting that it is not our strength, but it is the very dependence upon Christ's strength working through us that is the entire point. This is how He's glorified and we are made awake in Him. The third third objection, I could just really use some more assurance. I get the call, God, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm 50% there. But if you, could, if you could do a little something, you know, Gideon's going to keep doing this, right? You may be familiar. Pretty soon he's going to say, if you can, I'm going to throw out a fleece. And if you can make the grass wet and the, the fleece dry, I'm all in. Which afterwards he then says, okay, that was good. But now if you can make the fleece wet and the ground all dry, right, reverse it, then I'll really be all in, right? And how often do we do that? God, I sent your call. But I would really like a little bit more security that what I'm about to sacrifice and invest will be returned to me. In these ways, right, and this being the third objection, right, we forget Christ's promises or the words of God. You, well, even Jesus experienced this temptation, right? Satan urging him to require assurance by God to which Jesus replied, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Even more so, we read in the New Testament that it's not really signs that actually convert. Remember, it's the Holy Spirit that converts. And on several occasions, right, signs do nothing. Um, in fact, there are stories in which, uh, one parable in which a man who has gone on to be in Hades says, God, if you would just send, peop- send someone back from the dead to speak to my brothers, they will believe. And the notion is No. They actually won't, even if they hear from someone from the dead. So that's the work for the Spirit. It's not the work of a particular sign that persuades. And so, I might ask you, what objections are you prone to take up? As you wrestle with the call of God upon you, and as you find yourself deviating from that call, both in a macro way, where you say, 
I really want to do what I want to do and not what God wants me to do, or in a micro way, God couldn't possibly be calling me to do that. Right? Do you tell yourself, uh, if God showed up and was more pro, uh, present, then I could obey, or if he made me stronger, then I might be the man, or if I uh, could just get a little bit more assurance, then I might be all in. These are the ways in which we avoid the call of God. Now, um, as, as we come to the end, toward the end of this passage, what I really want you to see is how gracious God is toward Gideon. Right? All of these objections have been going on. And Gideon does, he goes and he makes his meal. And the angel of the Lord comes and he says, pour it all out on the rock. And he touches it with the tip of his spear and it's immediately consumed. And then the angel of the Lord vanishes. Now notice uh, Gideon's response in uh, verse 22. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now, on, for, pardon me, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the um, Well, before we go into 23, let me just point up to you that this is just like Isaiah. When Isaiah sees uh, the seraphim bring the burning coal, and believes that he's been in the presence of the Lord, he believes he's going to die. This is the same response that uh, Gideon is giving. I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Woe is me. Alas, I'm done. Now, remember, the angel of the Lord has disappeared as you go into verse 23. Right? He's gone. And what you get is not some version of the angel of the Lord, but you get Yahweh, which is probably all capitalized in your English version. So God is speaking now, not the angel of the Lord. And in Gideon's distress, even after bucking his call three times, God says to him, peace be to you. In Hebrew, it's just one word. God shows up and says shalom. Which means so much more than just our notions of peace. It means... Um, May you have a complete wellness of being. May everything in your life be properly ordered. So even in the midst of all of Israel's sin and all of Gideon's lack of faith and his fear now that he is a done, is man who's done, God shows up and says, Peace be to you. Shalom. Do not fear. You shall not die. We see as God makes one of His appearances, one of His theophanies in the Old Testament, he reveals himself to be a God of peace. Right? That he would bring shalom both to Gideon and to the people of Israel. But that shalom, that peace, is only known by answering the call of God. And so as you consider the story of Gideon, right, are you one who is willing to answer the call of God? Or are you one who comes up with a dozen objections for why you don't have to? Or why you shouldn't be expected to? If you decide to avoid that call, right, then you go down the path of forgetfulness. And forgetfulness leads to idolatry, and idolatry to disobedience, and you will move yourself further and further away from God. But to hear His call, right, and to obey, not with objections, but to trust yourself into the hands of the living God, right, who ultimately reveals Himself to be peace by delivering the Prince of Peace to die on the cross, that God who brings all their stories to their proper conclusion, He will let you know peace because He will let you know Himself. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you that you are a God of peace. And we thank you that when you reveal yourself, you are the Prince of Peace. We thank you that you provide for peace between us and you. And we thank you that you provide for peace between us and our fellow human beings. We pray that you would help us to love you, that you would help us to love our neighbor, and that you would help us to love our enemies. Toward this end, will you nourish us at your table this morning? We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.